The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. everybody, welcome back to the Greylock and Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. I'm going to take just a moment at the beginning of our uh, episode today. This episode was going to feature an interview with the incredible Keith Giffen, who sadly passed away before we recorded. Uh, I'm an enormous Keith Giffen fan, and uh, it was uh, such an honor to have him scheduled to come on the show He's a tremendous talent, and we'll have more to say about his work in the future. But Keith, rest in peace. Uh, we love your work. I'm so I mean, grateful. Oh, well, he, please. He, he posted about, um, you know, using death to get out of New York Comic Con, and maybe he used it to get out of the Grey Malkin Lane. <laughs> oh, wow. Ending, wow. ending with a blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that, that would be very wow. Keith. First yeah, blood has been drawn. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I'm extraordinarily grateful to Dan uh, Chichester, who I was planning on having on the show anyway, but thank you for coming on early, Dan. It's wonderful to meet you. Uh, my friends Gregory Wright and Daryl Lawrence are back with me today. We're going to be reviewing Amazing Adventures number 10 in the latter half of today's episode. It's called In His Hands, The World, and it's ridiculous, but we will get there in the latter half of the show. Uh, first, we're going to get to know our guests today. Let me have you each introduce yourselves, if you will. Let us know your pronouns, where we might know you from. And today's intro question, is there a ride you were scared of when you were a kid that maybe you would find amusing now as an adult or perhaps even boring? Uh, let's begin with the incredible uh, DG Chichester. It's nice to meet you, my friend. Um, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, I was going to do the the name correction, but you you beat me to it. Uh, I said I said uh, it Chichester before, didn't I? I was practicing. You, you went you went very British on me, and I was afraid <laughs> that we were going to you know do a whole across the pond thing because uh, I used to get schooled on that a lot. But no, it's uh, delighted to be here. Uh, uh, folks would know me. Uh, sounds like a, a Simpsons routine. You may know me from films such as um, uh, from a comics point of view. I was certainly. Uh, well-known back in the, the 90s for Daredevil and Hellraiser and Night Stalkers, uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. are probably the more prominent ones, uh, as well as uh, delightful fringe uh, titles like Terror Incorporated. Um, Greg is distracting me with uh, running with scissors <laughs> there. I was an editor on books like Martial Law and Grew the Wanderer, <clears throat> uh, Stray Toasters, uh, The Electra Assassin, uh, Collected Edition, and sort of learned my craft with Archie Goodwin and uh, Joe Duffy on uh, the Epic Comics Division, the creator-owned uh, work that uh, Marvel did. Um, uh, pronouns, um, uh, he is is fine uh, for me. And um, uh, the ride that scared me then, but probably would still scare me now, and a local up um, uh, amusement park around here called Playland um, had a, a ride called The Old Witch which was one of the dark rides, you know, the sort of thing, you know, you go in there and there's horrifying animatronics. And I just remember in my head, I don't know if it's still there, but it was not trying to do anything except terrorize people. There was nothing cute about it. It just had the facade was 
you know, something that Satan ejected from hell because it was too scary for him. And it was just dark, tunnely, cauldrony awfulness. And I went on it as many times as I possibly could uh, just to kind of just get that thrill again and again. So might not scare me now, but I'm going to not go on it purposefully so I can preserve that that wonder. Dan, it's such an honor to meet you. Uh, let's go over to my friend Gregory right next. Hi, Greg. Hi. Well, I'm still I'm still he him. Um, people might remember me from my three seconds on MasterChef where I, I was <laughs> on, on on screen on, on a cook along. Um, but no, much like Dan, I, I you know Dan actually got me into the comic industry. So um, I, I followed basically in his his footsteps as his loyal lapdog and sycophant um, at, at Marvel and Epic <laughs> Comics. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I followed him after he he quit. I quit after he did. Uh, and we both seemed to like to write all the same stuff. So I, I wrote, he wrote S.H.I.E.L.D., I wrote S.H.I.E.L.D., he wrote some Daredevil, I wrote some Daredevil, he wrote Nightbreed, I wrote some Nightbreed. <laughs> um, but he never colored anything. So, and I've colored everything. And I've been hanging out with you uh, quite a bit, which is uh, a lot of fun on your podcasts. I will have you back again and again, my friend. The, the, you know, it's fun. I, didn't, I didn't go on a lot of rides when I was a kid that were scary, except for one. And, and I didn't know what it was. I went on it. It was the ride called The Rotor. So I, I got on the ride and I was probably about eight or nine years old. And it was one of those, you know, traveling carnival rotors. And I got on it and, I, you know, they just said, well, it spins, you know, so it starts to spin and you realize that you're being stuck against the wall. And then all of a sudden the floor dropped and I thought I was going to shit myself because I had no idea that that was going to happen. And then I couldn't figure out why wasn't I falling? Um, and it seemed like it went on forever and ever. Uh, and then I thought I'm going to throw up. And then I started worrying about if I throw up, what will happen? But I did not throw up. Um, but I stay, I did remember that ride. So when I wrote it years later, um, I was no longer afraid because I knew it would happen. And we, we decided to see what would happen if we flipped ourselves over and tried to do push-ups. Um, and then we decided to turn ourselves sideways on it. Um, at, at which point they started yelling at us over the intercom, but there wasn't much they could do because they couldn't stop the ride you know, because everybody would just go flying. Um, so they threw us off and I was not allowed back on that at Cedar Point ever again. <laughs> I, th I thought uh, you were going to try to see what happened if you did throw up and that would have been even better, you know, just. I really don't like throwing up because I tend to throw up through my nose and then you smell it and it burns <laughs> and. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Throwing up, not my thing. Uh, let's go over to my friend, Daryl Lawrence next. Hi, Daryl. Hey, I'm Daryl. So I'm going to follow up Gregory. Um, my least claim to fame, I was in a local television ad commercial that they filmed at like my after school club when I was like 10. And it was like a three second snippet. And yes, I have gone searching for the ad on YouTube and I have not been successful so far. But I, I have thought of writing the station and being like, okay, so it was 1996 and it was a commercial. Um, what do you have? And they've probably erased everything, but... Um, I use he, him. I uh, co-host the X-Factor Files podcast where we explore the Marvel Universe. Um, we started with X-Factor Investigations, then we went off-roading. And we're currently covering <laughs> every single 1993 Marvel annual and every single new character they introduce. So um, we are oh. winding up coverage of those 27 annuals at the end of this calendar year. Um, and then who knows what we're going to do. So I um, can't wait to see. And hopefully I'm invited for some more off-roading with you. I have a great time on your show. Uh, yeah. It was very fun. The, the annual thing with, with, uh, 
you know, that, that, yeah. I wound up making a big post after I t- we talked about the, uh, the the one story where I decided Daredevil could see for a panel. Um, <laughs> but but uh, everybody was trying to defend it. No, it's really, it's okay. No, it's not. It's a fucking mistake, and you were supposed to catch it. You know, <laughs> and not only that, but the entire, because it was during Dan's run, and during Dan's run, he very, very specifically wrote about how the character manages to to get through the the, the world with all of the other senses, it, you know. So I was trying desperately to do that um, until that one panel. So and then after that worse. issue, I had to have him see for the whole rest of my run. So right. thank you, Greg, for that. I was very awkward. Probably why I was fired off the book because it's a miracle. Clearly, you know. <laughs> Lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he him pronouns. I'm a former Marvel Comics handbook writer. Current. Uh, uh, host of this show. Now, the reason I asked this question about scary rides as you're a kid, there's a there's a moment in the issue later where Magneto is taking his little magnet ship down a hall. It just reminded me of like little theme park rides. We'll talk about it when we get there. Uh, I grew up in the Missouri Ozarks, and there's a place called Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. If anyone's Ooh. been, it's kind of it's kind of like the poor man's Dollywood, if you will. Uh, it's very like country western themed. And there was a ride there when I was a kid called Fire in the Hole. Now we're talking like early 1980s. <laughs> I have no idea if it's still there. But there's a, you know, you're like, it's a little water ride. You're going through some old like Pirates of the Caribbean shit, but it's less cool. And then there's a drop at the end. But I was scared to death of it because my brother told me someone had died on that ride every year. And he's like, it could mm-hmm. be you this time. And so every time died got on, I was year. like, I'm going to die. Right, right. Uh, the other story I'll tell quickly, when I was 25, we went to Disneyland and got on the Haunted Mansion ride. And the ride stopped. And then it would just keep playing like the animatronics and our little mm-hmm. car kept spinning around. But we were in the same place on the ride for a fucking hour watching the same fucking ghosts. Listen to the same fucking music for a whole hour, and I'm like, I'll never go on it again. (laughs) That that happened to me at Disney World on the ride in Mexico in Epcot, and I I have heard from other people they were stuck at the exact same spot on that ride. So uh, you probably have a trauma partner out there that was stuck at that exact location in Haunted Mansion as well. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you my haunted mansion story because one step removed trauma, Daryl, which uh, my son, which I was the total helicopter parent, my son's five, did not want to go in a haunted mansion at all. Didn't no interest in anything like this. But my good friend Greg Wright, you know, tells me that the haunted mansion uh, at Christmas time becomes the Nightmare Before Christmas mansion, and so my son's a Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, devotee you know and so he's cool with that if it's if it's jack skellington he's all in so we go into the haunted mansion and we're walking down the hall there's no jack skellington so he's getting more and more creeped out as we're going along and there's no jack skellington what's going on and so finally like you know we get into the 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 crypt or the coffin mobile or or whatever it is and i turn to one of the undertakers like where's the jack skellington stuff oh yeah that's just in California Disney World. You know, as the bar comes down, my son's <laughs> eyes go to the size of dinner plates as he realizes he's been scammed. Trust dies in that moment, you know, and then you go through the entire ride seeing this goofy stuff through the eyes of the five-year-old who does not want to be there at all, you know, and everything just becomes a total nightmare. So once again, thank you, Greg, for that that moment. Uh, well done. Well played. 
Amazing, amazing. Uh, Dan, I'm going to come back and ask about your origin in a minute, but I want to start yeah. at the, the the top of the game, if we can, for just a second. My listeners will know X-Men's my first love as a comics fan. My second love goes to Daredevil. I'm a huge Daredevil <gasps> head. I love Daredevil. There is a long trend of Daredevil writers who leave the character in a very weird place and then mm-hmm. the next writer coming along and leaving them in an even weirder place afterward. I know you followed shortly after Anne Nascenti's uh, incredible run on Daredevil. We've had the chance yes, to talk to directly. Anne about that run. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about your Daredevil run. And part of the exciting news here is you uh, you are launching your new limited series, Daredevil Black Armor, for Marvel now, which is going to go back to that time. So I'd love to hear some of your ideas about the Black Armor itself. Uh, so let's start there. <laughs> Man, that's a gigantic question to unpack. Um, uh, well, I I never thought that I would write Daredevil. I never thought that this was something that I would I would aspire to, or that I would actually have a, a chance at. Certainly not at that point in time. I had been sort of progressing up the Marvel character ladder. You know, I'd worked on Nick Fury at that point, so now I was a real writer in the eyes of some marvel editors because i was working on an established character versus whatever i did at epic and that kind of weird stuff over there but i i wasn't in my mind ready to kind of go into the the real pantheon of of characters yet i figured i'd cut my teeth on some other stuff and try to kind of graduate up more and more but um steve busolato was my friend and had been my editor at epic and my assistant editor which was a weird incestuous relationship probably not good for either of our development but um, he calls me at Thanksgiving, like probably not right around this time. And he says, Anne is leaving the book and you should try out for it. And and I, I, I was dumbfounded. Like this, this again, wasn't on my, my, my bucket list, wasn't on something I thought I was ready for. He says, Ralph Macchio really likes your work because I sort of honored the Fury character. I treated him well. I brought back some characters like Baron Von Strucker and I... I played them in a different way, but I think I still honor their legacy. And Ralph very much liked that sort of approach. Uh, so I I pushed through my imposter syndrome, and I and I asked Ralph, who uh, uh, you know who I knew in passing or you know in a friendly sort of way, would you mind if I pitch the book? I hear Anne's off, and and Ralph could be the most low key guy, and and so he was like, hey, yeah. Dan, whatever you want to do, if you want to do it, you know, go ahead. But but in that sort of way of you're never going to get this like just the nice guy sort of approach you know he's not going to push me away but i, I could hear the, the gears turning and and my simple epiphany you know for the character was the thing that had frustrated me uh even from frank miller's run um was everybody kept it, having issues where he would say to the kingpin you cross this line i'm taking you down no, you cross this line, I'm taking it. No, you cross this line, and I'm taking you down. Till it became kind of a joke, and 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 um and I said, let's have him cross the line, let's have him take him down. <laughs> and that was basically the essence of the proposal, as well as making the city the character. I was living in New York City at that point. I was a um a big fan of a of a newspaper called New York Newsday, which covered almost every neighborhood in New York in real reporters on the ground detail. And so I felt like the city was a character with me living there. So my two-part proposal was we take the kingpin down in a big, epic way, and we make the city a real character that is infused even beyond Hell's Kitchen. And, um, and, and you know, lo and behold, and then I found out 
you know, Greg had actually pitched for the book as well, which I never knew until recently. So I don't have any idea who else was there, but there had to be other people. And suddenly at 22, 23 or whatever the hell I was, I get a call from Ralph and it's like, hey, yeah, you're the new Daredevil writer. And and you're teamed up with Lee Weeks, so I sort of knew from doing one solo Avengers story together. Um, but it was, <laughs> but but it was the perfect timing, and the perfect partnership in my mind. Um, even at that moment, because neither of us were really ready for it, I don't think. Um, and we were willing to take chances and just go with the creative flow of it. And we were challenging each other, and we knew we had to step up everything to get to this magic 300 issue. Uh, so um, I felt that we took a lot of chances and 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 approach things in certain ways that if we had thought it through, we probably wouldn't have done. I probably wouldn't have had Matt Murdock seduce Typhoid Mary so that she turned back into Mary, but it just felt right. But it's, a, it's an awful, awful moment. It's the exact right moment, but it's something if I had thought through, and kind of intellectualize it, uh, intellectualize it a little bit. I wouldn't have done. <laughs> so you 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 play those things through, and it worked out. It worked out great. I mean, Lee was a an amazing partner, and I learned uh, so much. And then the the motherfucker leaves the book, um, so <laughs> leaves me hanging. Um, but um, and you know, I I, I uh, but then I you know not too long after got got partnered with Scott McDaniel who became another amazing partner. Both, um, uh, I think I think I lost my way a little bit on the book. I'm I'm pleased with some individual issues and many storylines, but I don't think I I pulled through as much as I wanted to from that initial proposal after we had the big heady kingpin moment to the point then when we got to the next place where we want to jumpstart things which would become fall from grace um and then that was another point in time where scott and i felt like we were being challenged because uh uh frank miller was going to be doing a book with with john ramita jr at that time and all the attention was suddenly on daredevil because frank miller and john ramita jr were doing a book you know, both immensely talented people and they should get all the attention that they deserve and this but is I a think daredevil we, man without fear correct? yes daredevil man without fear but um, but you know, we were like, hey, we're we're the we're the regular guys. Like, what about us? You know, what what about like a little love for us? And there was none. So we made the love. We said we're gonna do this big epic event. Scott had been talking about changing his style for a while and said, This is the time to do it. And we threw everything except the kitchen sink at, at that storyline. I mean, if it was a if it, if it was like the Oppenheimer moment, like that thing is like one proton away from exploding in terms of like a, a true fishing event because it's got every guest star we could get our hands on uh we're killing him off we're we're throwing you know this new costume into the mix the new costume being the armor right at that point in time uh which you know got me my classic uh stanley moment you know at a, at a convention where stan's like so I hear you're changing the costume on daredevil oh yes stan we're doing this and we think it's this and you know here's the reason we're doing it well i hope you know what you're doing and then <laughs> so <laughs> in the way that means I probably didn't. Um, but um, but again, it worked out. I think there was a lot of under expectation. And I remember there's a lot of articles like, you know, oh, here we go again. Uh, you know, they're going to uproot Matt Murdock's life. And and these guys are the B team. Um, and um, but it it created a lot of 
a lot of good energy. And it was another great partnership um, of, I think, me relearning what I wanted to do with the character and uh, and Scott learning um, uh, where he wanted to go as an artist. So um, uh, those those elements, you know, really would would carry things through. Um, and then uh, I had a sort of unfortunate departure off the title uh, a little while after that. I but, am, uh, <laughs> I'm always fascinated Daredevil as one example. You know, in the X-Men, we see the mutant theme explored by the decade as the different time periods pass and the same thing, right. themes are being explored. You introduced the concept of the city as one of the characters in Daredevil. Yeah. Go back to like the 60s run and it's very much like, uh, you know, jazz and jive talking and Matt's uh, pre pretending to be Mike Murdoch, his like flashy brother who's flipping around the room, right? You go to Annie Nascenti's run and the, the people in the city are explored through the eyes of uh, like these kids on skateboards. And then mm -hmm. we move it to your run and it's very much, uh, you start to see the tech influence. We're starting to see mm -hmm. a lot of characters, uh, much like in Gregory's run on, on Silver, to Sa Silver Sable, we're seeing a lot more like tech-based characters, mixing that in with the ninjas, uh, adding in the snake root and the ancient viruses. And there's a lot of different kind of layered complexities there. And you create some real weird guys who are very 90s. Uh, the systems crash. Uh, yes, guys, this is like pre-Y2K with names like uh, Infomorph and Technospike, which is again, map. so, so yes. nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, talk to me about working in uh, that era and bringing the tech influence into Daredevil. Because uh, his his black costume is kind of techie as well, which is... Uh, oh, it's very techie. It's very techie. Um, I, I mean, I was a big fan of, of digital and technology right from the, the get-go as things were kind of happening. I think the thing that really changed it for me was, um, or made me really pay attention, was Mike Sines had brought a, an early Macintosh, the boxy Macintoshes, into Archie Goodwin's office, and he was doing um, um, Crash, the Iron Man, uh, bit-mapped uh, digital art graphic novel, and he had this crude animation of Iron Man flying up you know the screen and i was like oh my god that, that's that's the most amazing thing i've ever seen incredibly crude by today's standards but i remember that flipping a switch in my head and wanting to know more about what could be done with things for comics and just in general and so um uh, this was around the time that wired magazine was coming out and wired became huge mondo 3000 which was sort of the hallucinogenic version of wired and uh it was a great time to lean into all of this stuff and I'm always reminded of that William Gibson uh, quote, William Gibson, the, the science fiction author, which was the street finds its uses for things, which I always interpreted as the idea that technology becomes used in different ways once the ordinary person, the street kind of gets their hands on it. And that's where I, I started to think about kind of infusing a little bit of that in a Daredevil, not making Daredevil a technology-based character, or technology-based stories, but how could you sort of modernize the noir aspect through what was going on through technology at that time, which was weird and was being adopted by white hat hackers and black hat hackers, but was still largely untested, probably in the public. Um, I mean, this right is now- the, This is where we get Sinclair Spectrum, who I love. Yeah, Sinclair Spectrum, which is named after computers, you, you know, her, her name. And, and, you know, that story is extraordinarily prescient <laughs> probably if you read it now at that point it was probably a little too ahead of its time in the sense of people scratching their heads but um but everything in that story was based on real things i'd read i, I was a huge sponge in the sociology section of the book uh, of uh, the bookstore 
or um, you're just a collector of a clip file of little bits and pieces. And over time, those bits and pieces would become elements that suddenly I saw them coming together in a story, which is where a techno spike or a bitmap or an infomorph or um, uh, the, the the character who um, is it infomorph. The one who lives in a mud, a multi-user dungeon, you know, he sort of like lives inside, Wirehead, who lives inside um, this alternate reality universe and then manifests things from that alternate reality into the real world. Uh, all of that stuff was based on real names, the 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 clipper chip that was part of that storyline. Um, uh, all of those things were real, real elements, which I just found ways to kind of bring in because I always wanted something that was grounded as outrageous as it was. And it, it was about something to me. It was about um, how this, how there was going to be a dichotomy between um, where this information technology was going to bring people. And I, I, there's that weird scene where uh, Cap and Daredevil are like debating, <laughs> you know, the future of information technology. Um, but I, that to me made it about something. So I was very much into it. And that's also where picking up on those near science elements that the costume uh, would come out of because the costume was based on something called biomimetics. And biomimetics was the research of natural materials like how a rat's teeth constructed, how is spider web constructed, how is abalone shells and the layers of them how do they actually have this incredible density and this strength? Um, and I said, well, if we're going to make this stronger costume, and I never called it armor until the sales department said they're going to call this book Black Armor. And I said, well, I'm all in, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, and I said, if we're going to give him a more protective um, uh, shell to be able to survive the threats that we were throwing at him, especially in Fall from Grace, he needed more protective uh, he's not an idiot, right? He's not going to throw himself up against Venom again or or Silver Sable's team or any of these things without some kind of protective garment so he can continue the good fight. So um, that's the reason we created it out of these elements. And I remember describing this in this interview. Um, we were doing like a round robin um, uh, Daredevil interview and J.R. Jr. was in that, you know, self, Scott, Pat Garrahy, Ralph. And they were asking us all these questions. They asked me about the 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 suit and i described the biomimetics and i was all enthused and so proud of myself and then i looked up and jr looks at me it's like what are you smoking you know and he's just like you know just this you know brilliant moment of like uh, okay I'm, I'm going too far but um so um uh, but then when i was exited off the book it, they couldn't be quicker about getting rid of that suit you know, they 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 threw that thing through the grinder um, uh, as fast as they possibly could. So um, I was uh, mightily amused when their inquiry to me if I wanted to come back and do a miniseries was about, yeah, we want you to do it with that suit because <laughs> I said, you have no idea the shit I took for that costume back in the day. I want to hear the pitch on your new series, but let's save that for just a minute. My, yeah. my single favorite moment from your Daredevil run, if I can only choose one, and you use a lot of classic villains that I love, like Stiltman. You also give us the uh, the ridiculous uh, character Surgeon General. Who's so oh God, yes, <laughs> I kept I kept trying to make the organ 
thief thing work. I finally <laughs> did in, in a hardware issue, but um, I don't know why I kept trotting out that tired trope, but yeah, Surgeon General, yeah. But my single favorite moment is in issue 294, and Foggy Nelson is eating some processed food, and Matt is disgusted, and Foggy goes, and I quote, your problem, Matt, is you spend too much time worrying about what's in it. The trick is learning to enjoy the experience. I know he's talking about processed food, but this is just a good metaphor for life, I think. It so is. It so is. There should be a Foggy Nelson t-shirt with that slogan on it. You, know? you also gave us the worst owl. This is the bald owl with like uh, Groucho Marx's side hair and like uh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, visualization there. It's a little odd. It definitely is. The I mean, idea again was right, but maybe the execution didn't quite come together. When I, I mean, the owl is terrible in general, but yeah, this is a, this is a rough looking owl. Uh, Gregory, you also got to do a little bit of Daredevil work during this when you uh, wrote the Atlantean soap opera, The Fathoms of Humanity. I'm yes. Just, <laughs> you want to talk a little about your work on Daredevil during the 90s? Well, you know, th the funny thing is, you know, I had, I had pitched for the book at the same time Dan did. Neither one of us knew we had done it. And Ralph had called me to talk to me about my pitch. And he goes, but you're not getting the book. He goes, I'm giving it to Dan. And I went, <laughs> oh. And I went, okay. And then he proceeds to explain Dan's pitch, which is sort of similar to mine. And I'm like, that's interesting. We both had a similar idea. The only problem, and then I said, well, send me his pitch. I want to see what he did. But his pitch was like 10 times better than mine. And, and the big thing that was different was he used the city as a character, which I was not doing at all. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, you know, I, when I read what Dan wrote, especially, you know, the, the, the first run that he did, um, you know, he absolutely should have got that book. Um, but I was doing the annuals at the same time. Um, and Dan was generous enough to say, well, let him just keep doing the annuals because the annuals are terrible to do anyway. Um, but you know, Dan had taken a break, uh, to do, was it, was it was root of evil? Was that what it was, Dan? Um, it seems like it might have been uh, the, the um, Electra miniseries was going to. So um, they had asked me to step in and I said, OK, that'd be great. Um, you know, but, you know, again, you're stepping in the middle of somebody's, you know, run. So I had to pick him up where Dan had him and I had to pretty much leave him there. Um, but, you know, Ralph, uh, you know, Ralph was, you know, he was great. And he said, you know, it'd be fun if you use this character back in Miller's day, which was this guy called the King who lived in the sewers. And I had a big <laughs> fondness for the the people who live in the sewers. Um, so I did. That's what I did. And once again, I, I did kind of what Dan did is I used all these characters that I could throw in that, you know, don't really belong in a Daredevil story, you know, because I had brought back the original Deathlock as a new character called the Demolisher and created a couple of new characters. And we brought in and then they were doing some book called Black Wolf. And they said, can you bring Black Wolf in? I went, all right. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Cause I got, I also got to work with Tom Grinberg, who's a good buddy. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, it was a very different, very different look than what, uh, you know, Dan and Scott were doing. Um, so it was sort of a nice little interlude, I guess, you know, but unfortunately, uh, once my run was done and Dan came back. Did you ever read that, um, hammer, that book, the mole people, Greg? Yeah, that, that's that, the word. That's where I got it from. Yeah, because I remember that book fondly, and that was yeah. That's about where I got. That's where I got a lot of this uh, this stuff. Below, from. I had a whole yeah, bunch that was of those, a really cool but, book. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to do. Then I brought back the Devourer character, um, which we talked about on on Daryl's show, and you know, oh, it never been seen again. I'm like, you know, it seems like I, I did use him again, and that's exactly where I I had used the 
the character again. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun to get to to work on the fringes, but I never mm-hmm. ever got to do a Daredevil story that was really mine because I was either picking up where Anne had left a character and dropping him back off, or when wherever Dan uh, did it. Um, so there, you know, as much as I love the character, I, I've never really written like I, the only characters I've really written my own story is is the Fat Boys characters, which Dan loves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daryl, do you want to take the next question? Yeah. So um, about three weeks ago is when we got the email to say, "Hey, you're doing this podcast," and I'm like, "I've been dying to read a series that both of you were involved in, and I never had like a deadline to do it because sometimes I need a deadline." And it's Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's a book that I always come across the issues, especially in like dollar bins and things. And I've always Mm -hmm. been compelled to read it, but I haven't found anything sequentially. Luckily, there were collected editions that Marvel put out in like 2017. And um, so they're all on Marvel Unlimited now. And I binged it. I finished the last issue 10 minutes before jumping on. Wow. Wow. Fresh in your mind. (laughs) So. I think my question for both of you is that Nick Fury was sort of this crusty character, in my opinion. He was, you know, had his heyday in the 60s. He's from World War II. Um, He hasn't had as many updates, I think, as Cap had in the same amount of time. And he was really stuck in the the niche of war comics. And Hmm. I think both of you, um, Gregory on the editing side, Dan on the writing side, we're able to freshen that character up to make him super interesting and construct a team. So talk to me about it going into and launching that. And um, Dan, you took over a few issues in um, after the first arc. How did you really look at the players on the board and make them gel together and make this something that obviously lots of people like to read? Uh, there are 47 issues it ended up being. So um, there was some longevity with that premise. Well, I think, um, uh, I mean, my first run on it, Greg was generous enough to to offer me a, a fill-in arc, right? Bob Harris was the regular writer. You know, Bob had, I think, refreshed the character with his Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D. maxi-series or whatever it was. And then yeah, that, was it. that had launched the the regular series after that. And Bob was the the regular writer needed to take a break to go work on something called the X-Men, I think uh, for a little while. And, um, and then, um, so Greg offered me the four or five issue, um, uh, uh, run. No, no, it was actually, much like he, it was, it was one issue to start with. Oh, it was it. Okay. And then, it the one issue, and then everything went to, to hell. And I called Dan. And I said, Hey, do you think you could turn this into <laughs> <laughs> you a multi-part okay. store? And he was like, sure. <laughs> And that's how it got. Um, so there, that's how that there you go. Um, but um, so, but but like Greg said, uh, when you're talking about the Daredevil work, you are a steward, right? And you are, and if you're a good steward, I think you're not only respecting the character, you're respecting the regular creator. You're not trying to come in and just say, "I'm going to show what I can do," and and you know, screw everything up. Um, I had to be respectful to Greg as the editor. And I had to be respectful to Bob as the 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 writer. So, um, but. For me, it was basically two things. Again, that research end of me was in the sociology section and the geopolitical section and picking up on all these Tom Clancy light, you know, influences. But I had been a huge James Bond fan since forever and a day. So here was my chance to write James Bond. And that's how I approached it. I approached it as a gruffer, 
um, Marvel Universe James Bond right from the get-go. And that kind of gave me the drive to combine um again some technology there's a bomb and there's and there's certain jets and certain um you know foil uh, uh whatever MacGuffins you know going on there um there's things about cults and 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 such that again I'm playing off of cults and con men I'm using things that I collected to bits and pieces of influence on and then fortunately I had enough moving while I'm building the plane while I'm moving skill to make them gel together into something of a story. Uh, and it was a lot of fun, but finishing it, I had hopes that maybe someday the book would open up because it was so much fun, but I did not expect that it would open up so relatively soon uh, afterward. No, Bob for... Harris, I had Bob do another three issues and then he was going to be done. And I just called Dan. I said, by the way, uh, <laughs> this book is opening. Uh, I'd love you to do it. And <laughs> So it was right. very easy. You know, you didn't have to do a pitch for it, I don't think. I love that you guys have been there for each other so much. That's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, now, for X-Men listeners, uh, there is a Gambit Daredevil uh, team-up story during Dan's run on Daredevil as well, which is really fun. It's uh, Gambit was everywhere in the 90s. He was like the character besides like Wolverine and Ghost Rider that you saw yep, all over exactly. the <laughs> Oh, wait, we want a sales boost. Give me some Gambit. Give me a little Gambit love. <laughs> Uh, Dan also wrote the really great uh, Daredevil Batman one shot where they fight. Uh, I love of all the pairings of villains that you could have chosen for these guys. You you picked Two Face and Mister Hyde, which was pretty fun. <laughs> Do you want to talk about uh, Daredevil Batman at all? Yeah, I think that's. Um, I know there was three of them, and I always just tell people, of course, this one is the best one. But I think it was the best one from what I've heard from other people who've read the other two. <laughs> um, you know, because I so colored this- it. Oh, this, that's and right. you colored yeah. it. You colored <laughs> it. But and I do want to. I do want to make a, a point, Chad, that that you know, well, yes, Greg and I have had each other's backs and and been friends since we almost since we met. Um, Greg is my harshest critic, so I don't get away with anything, you know, with him. If I had screwed up any one of those pitches or issues or whatever, there was no way it was moving forward out of. Um, ah, well, you know, I'll let you go on this. I mean, I, I, he's taken me more to task than anybody and and rightly so and it's made me better uh for it um but daredevil and batman was one of those things that you just kept hearing about right it's going to be uh, why you know everyone was always comparing the characters it seemed like a no-brainer that there would be a special when those things could still happen um and so i pushed for it with uh with ralph and it it um did that ha- i guess that happened after i was off the book right craig i i think so I think we had initiated I remember. it. I think I can't remember exactly, but but I think we'd initiated it before um I had been removed from the regular title. And I think it 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 but it it hadn't happened yet. And and I think I was able to maintain the momentum on it um through somewhat force of will um and figuring it was going to be a, a profile project to some degree. Um uh, but it was a tricky thing to navigate because originally Lee Weeks was going to be the artist on it. He was the artist on it and he was assigned and he was going to do it. Um, but uh, Marvel would not guarantee the rate that he had been he had been told he would get. And so he walked away from the project. And uh, and then um, and then uh, we were able to get Scott in, which was a great win. But uh, now I was working for Danny O'Neill and Ralph Macchio. So on a character I knew very well. 
and a character I love very much, but didn't really know that well. So Denny took me to task um, on at least a draft and a half of the story before I kind of got it right. Um, and um, which again is what you want. You want to be asked to to do more. Um, but for me, the the uh, the best part of that story is not necessarily the the Two Face and Mister Hyde, which is very enjoyable. It's actually the Matt Murdock and Harvey Dent kind of epiphany, like sort of suddenly realizing, wait a minute, we've got two lawyers. Why wouldn't they have known each other in law school? And let's play off that angle, uh, which to me really became sort of a heart of the story in a way. And then using that and his relationship with Dent and Batman's relationship with Dent as a way to kind of navigate how each of them, each of the heroes would see the situation. Uh, Mr. I got pushed a little bit to the back you know, for that. Um, but um, I'm really pleased with how how that turned out as a as an aspect of it. So I have one more big question for you. Then we'll do our issue review. But I want to hear a little bit about Daredevil Black Armor uh, when we're wrapping up at the end, if you will, because I want to hear where we're going with the series. I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun mm-hmm. to see you revisit and tie things up. Uh, tell us who Alan Smithy is. <laughs> Alan Smithy is born of bitterness. Alan Smithy <laughs> is is the um is the, the the traditional name that directors put on a film when it's been when they think it's been ruined, right? When a director works on a movie, and um, I don't know if they still do this, but they certainly did it, you know, back in the day. If they feel the film has been ruined through editing or it was taken out of their control, um, rather than put their name on something they think is going to be a, a turd or whatever, they put Alan Smithy on it. And so um, uh, when I was removed from Daredevil. I was I was midway through what would be that last storyline, which was Wages of Sin, which, you know, in our, our scheme that Ralph and I had kind of come up with before the book moved out of Ralph's office was we were going to do big stories like Tree of Knowledge and Fall from Grace. And then we were going to do a little bit more Martin Scorsese sort of street level stories. And we we're going to do another big story. We had this rhythm kind of mapped out. And so Wages of Sin was meant to be the smaller story uh more of a street level story and um and so midway through i find out um well you're off the book but you still have to finish the issues that you're on and which it was just a totally screwed up revelation and explanation and situation and to some extent i i couldn't just say well if you fired me i'm just walking i sort of needed the income but um i was in such a foul mood you know if you look at those issues which actually read a little bit better than I remember them reading. I had to revisit them recently. Um, but I retitled them all. Like the titles are all like betrayal, treason. Uh, you know, they're all these like, you know, ridiculous, you know, I'll show you title uh, titles. And then I also said, well, I'm not putting my name on it. I'm going to put Alan Smithy on it because I, I went to film school and I would know what that means. I'll show you. Nobody could have cared less, you know, but it allowed me for many years to sort of say, well, I haven't talked to Alan in years and, um, and, uh, but he's a really nice guy. I don't think he's ever worked in any other comics. And so I, I played that out for, for a long time. But so Alan was my fit of, um, of rage protest. Um, but a, a funny story to that. Somebody actually came to me because they did some, um, um, uh, I don't know, a memorial issue of daredevil, um, where they, uh, uh, I don't know when this came out, maybe a few years back, but it was it had the names of every creator on the 
on the the cover somewhere and like that in the background or on a sign or whatever so alan smithy's name is there um <laughs> and the guy had me sign it as both dg chichester and alan smithy which i thought was <laughs> hysterical um uh dan do you live in new york i live in connecticut so okay, just outside i'm gonna say next time i come to new york i'm inviting myself to dinner with you and greg and i just want to like sit and listen to the stories because this is i uh, it would be my pleasure that would be wonderful. <laughs> Daryl, you can come too if you want. You just have to come to New York. It sounds good. And uh, Gregory, just take the night off from cooking. We'll we'll go somewhere. We won't make <laughs> there it you go. There you go. No, Rich, you come to my house and I will cook. Uh, well, that also that sounds fabulous. I'll bring I, the wine. I would love to do that. That'd be actually, that'd be a lot of fun. I actually, that that's one of those things. I love to cook for a lot of different people. So, you know, uh, we can well, make that happen. I have about a dozen questions I could ask, but we're going to transition just for sake of time. And I and I am really excited to hear about Daredevil Black Armor toward the end. We're going to uh, switch Black to God. issue review. Uh, I got to set this series up a little bit in the last episode, so I won't uh, I won't uh, take a lot of time to do that today. This is the title Amazing Adventures, which is the anthology book. Uh, in uh, issues nine and ten, it became a full of uh, uh, Inhumans book for two issues, and then it switches to the Beast anthology. Excuse me, the Beast series where Beast turns blue. We'll be getting there on my show in January. This is the worst Magneto story I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pull punches. What do you really think? <laughs> this is from uh, January 1972. The writer's Jerry Conway. Uh, Mike Sikowski is the penciler. Frank Giacoya is the inker. Sam Rosen, letterer. And Stan Lee, the editor, of course. Uh, now, I looked up a couple clips of Magneto from the old Fantastic Four uh, uh, like 70s cartoon. And there's, if you get on YouTube and just look for Magneto Fantastic Four, you'll find a couple of these. There's like a an image of like Magneto in his like magnet car, which has a letter M on the front. And he's like, where can I find the Baxter building? And the guy at the gas station's like, ah, you got to get gas in your car. And he's like, you fool, I do not need gas. And then he just starts tossing cars around. And the guy's <laughs> like, what are you doing? Uh, this, this issue has very much that energy it's like early 70s animation kind of style to it and if you get into that headspace it's uh it's a lot more fun but my word is this a weird weird story uh to pick up from last time magneto found some like deviant machines and built some weird little mutate booger people maybe the high evolutionary left a race sitting around he zaps them there's one that's named moon eye who's like prophetic and he's got a couple of other weird ones like named Obar and I don't know. These guys have literally never been seen again. They probably got eaten by Monstro and like the next the next issue. But uh, he's he found an amnesiac Black Bolt. Uh, Black Bolt has amnesia. He's been uh, dethroned by Maximus the Mad, and the Inhumans are out looking for him. But now they've been captured by Magneto. That's kind of all you need. It's a very odd story. Uh, let me hear from my panel what it was like for you to jump into this bizarre little nugget of Marvel history before we begin our review. Uh, had any of you read this before? You had? Okay. <laughs> oh, I had not. I had not. <laughs> uh, any early thoughts on the experience of this book? It's so wacky. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I actually really like the art and the color and the, the phenomenal lettering of Sam Rosen in here. But, you know, mm. it, it, you start reading it. And if you start actually reading it out loud, you can't just stop cackling, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, there's this weird, like almost third person narration from Black Bolt. Is it in his head? Who is talking to Black Bolt? 
you know, while he can't talk. And it just gets, and when you start reading it out loud, it gets funnier and funnier and funnier. But it does, it's, it does, it, it's almost like those terrible Marvel cartoons, um, you know, that had the, the sort of outlandish way of, di- you know, t- doing the dialogue that was just so over, over the top bizarre. Um, but yeah, right, it's, but just it, so, it's so wacky. <laughs> you know, but, but is it though in the sense of like, you know, it's totally not modern, right? You know, there, there's no way. And, but I kind of read it as, I, I you know, I just shifted myself into a different gear uh, in the way, you know, it's like, it's, it's of a different era. You know, it's right. It's like writing or, or not writing, you know, re- reading or more likely watching, you know, a, um, a, a film, you know, black and white film from a certain era, you know, where the performances are more stilted and the delivery is a certain way of doing things. And you can sort of say, well, that doesn't feel natural. But on the other <laughs> hand, you know, there's there's something about there's some there's some joy of like, uh, uh, you know, just putting yourself through that tortured type of language, you know, and and going through, you know, what matters the word you used, you know, you know, you must stop, you know, or whatever. It just feels like it's it's of itself, right? It it fits so naturally that um, I think when I look at a comic like this, I just I just go with that flow. And it's literally 50 years later. Uh, Daryl, do you want to tell us about the cover to this book? Yeah. So what um, I love this era of Marvel because they chose one bold color to go with that mm-hmm. they they were making a statement with the color so that kids predominantly would grab it from the rack. And mm-hmm. they used red to great effect on this cover. And we get a very heroic black bolt, two times the black bolt on this cover. Um, so one in the logo and then another in the action scene where he's trying to rescue the Inhumans that are trying to find him. And Black Bolt is giving us the whitest stance. (laughs) He is. He's very well balanced. And and, uh, uh, Magneto is telling him, you know, forget those Inhumans. They're dead. And I think that's just playing on amnesia, like way to pick on him. He can't remember anything, and you're like, forget them. He doesn't remember them in the first place, Magneto. You know this. Come on. Uh, any comments on Magneto's helmet on the cover? Because it... it ill-fitting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, the it's real like they, one was somebody in the went, shop. They, they like mm. yanked the bottom of it. To, it. My head's too big. I mean, I'll, I'll pull it apart so that I can get it on my my big fat head. He's painted his eyes black. There's a monster in the back that has like a weird brain braid on the top and he's holding mm-hmm. the Inhumans. Gorgon has his pretty butterfly tiara on. Uh, Medusa is my star player in this series or in this issue. We'll uh, we'll just say that right out. Um, uh, Dan, are you a Inhumans fan? Um, not so much. I'm, I'm aware of them and know them, but I mean, I never was totally into them. Um, but I am a fan of these types of covers that, had these little bits of storytelling on them, which again, we don't do anymore, but I always like that lead in. Uh, I have most of my comics from that era uh, or when I was a kid, I, I know that that's what drew, uh, drew me in was those moments of Superman. You know, I walk away from you now, Lois, never to speak to you again. You know, a scene <laughs> that's never going to happen, but it's like, wow, what happens now? I must find out. Uh, Greg, how about you? Are you an Inhumans fan? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I liked you know, the Inhumans, because they were, they were different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was one of those things that Kirby came up with that was, you know, new and it was unique and it was different in, until they talked. Um, 
you know, but you know, I, I love the design. Black Bolt's a great design. Medusa and all that hair is really, you know, very cool. And you know, Karnak, you know, so yeah, I I, I kind of dug them when they they kind of came out, and you know, and then when they came out with that um, that movie. <laughs> No, that, uh, it was a TV series, right? Was that what it was? Yeah, was it, yeah. And yeah. it was that yeah. one season of a TV show. Just terrible. I was like, oh. Yeah. Um, if you want to see the Inhumans represented well on the screen, it's actually the Fantastic Four cartoon that's oh, sure. produced um, by Larry Houston. I met him at the Uncanny Experience. Um, hmm. And I said, you know, I love your work on X-Men, the animated series. But what I really loved was the Fantastic Four first. And... You did the Inhumans very well for that. So is that on Disney Plus? It is. Yep. So I, I can. I'll have to check that out. Wow. I don't think I've seen that one. I adore Medusa because they gave us a sixty power, like sixties super powered villain to join the Frightful Four, but her power is hair. Uh, I also love uh, Karnak and Gorgon, who are like the Felix and Oscar of comic books in a lot of ways. They're the Bert and Ernie uh, like duo, just kind of w- walking around, making fun of each other all the time. Uh, okay, so I'm going to cover the first few pages here. Something that helped me enjoy this issue as well is if you've ever seen Labyrinth, I kind of pictured Magneto mm-hmm. as the Goblin Prince and all the little like gooey guys as like the little like little puppets in the background that are serving him. That helped a little bit because these characters are real odd. And this is Magneto at his worst. Uh, so we open on Magneto's groovy ghoulies. That's what I'm going to call them. Uh, holding all of the inhumans <laughs> in traps. There are long machine guns. They've got the creepiest Phantom of the Opera faces. <laughs> Uh, Magneto has prepared elaborate traps for each of them. Medusa has been drugged. Uh, Karnak is being held in some sort of device that looks like it comes out of a torture porn dungeon somewhere. And Gorgon is in energy handcuffs, but also his hooves are in fetters. Uh, And uh, Magneto flips his cape in the air and yells, so struggle till the ends of time. Uh, The Inhumans watch Magneto as he sits in a weird chair and uses like some weird high evolutionary machine to create some chonky hulking booger monster who looks like a gorilla with the like chonkiest big brain. Uh, Karnak yells, monsters, then this is the time or this is the manner in which you betray your mutant heritage by turning it against the way of things against the eternal order. And Magneto replies, homo sapiens shape their world. Homo superior must need shape themselves, which makes no sense because he's just making monsters out of clay. I don't know what that means. Uh, the monster's eyes starts to glow. He starts to drain the energy or the will from Black Bolt, which now makes him Magneto's uh, like little slave. And Magneto flies Black Bolt away in an airship. And he's like, man, I wish I'd known you had amnesia because I could have fucked with you even more. Uh, <laughs> but now we have the universe machine. Uh, and we go back to the Inhumans here. This is where Magneto's his little airship as they go down the the like alley, flying over the city. Uh, we get kind of this this silly like ride. It's like one of those cars out of a Disney machine. I don't know. And then we go back to the Inhumans who are just being surrounded by these weird little creatures. And uh, Medusa decides she's going to use her feminine wiles to try to escape. They're in this energy bar cage and uh, she starts to, you know, poke her butt out and, and poke her tits out. And she's like, you know, look, well, I'm going to get us free. We'll we'll continue from there in just a second. But do you guys have any thoughts on the first few pages of this book? What stood out to you with the art or the story that you loved or were baffled by? The The story is quick and it's a lot. So... If you're talking total length of this main story, it is not counting the cover. 16 pages that 
they have to cram a whole lot into. And I feel we get a lot of good information and it it reads quickly. It's very text dense, but it's something that you can move through and understand what's going on. Um, the visuals do so much to help too. Um, the pairing of the words with the art, you know exactly what's going on. Like, you know what Medusa's doing, even though she's not explicitly saying, like, I'm going to use my wiles. Um, she, <laughs> you can see in her posture, like, yeah, she's sticking it out, and we know she's cooking something up, and it's going to pay off in a page or two. Even in that outfit, that purple and pink panties outfit. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> oh, uh, do you have on. any thoughts you know on you the first pages? <laughs> I, you know, I would wear that for Halloween, but that wig must weigh like seventy pounds, so I'm not. I'm not going to try. Maybe uh, Demanda has, has Demanda dressed it up as a. Demanda has not uh, done Medusa. We did talk about it once, and she she confirmed she that wig would be far too heavy. <laughs> she could carry that thing, <laughs> Demanda. If you're listening, I'll uh, I'll I'll send her a text. Yeah, we... Chad, you follow behind Demanda with a fishing pole and a line that's holding <laughs> the wig. Yeah. Yeah. Octopus's arms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dan, did you have any thoughts on the early pages here? Uh, just you know, doubling down on what I was saying before, I I think I didn't read a lot of Marvels when I was a kid. I was mostly a DC, uh, you know, um, uh, I guess a fan, uh, probably for the initials because I'm really shallow. Uh, so looking at a lot of these in, in a way is is new to me. But I just again put myself into the the flow of it, and I just enjoy the the overwrought. Uh, diabolicalness of it all and uh so i i had a i had a ball reading it through uh i will give daryl if you need this prompt uh there's two characters we see on the next page one is joey joey's a kid that you will again see in avengers 95 where the black bolt amnesia story is wrapped up as the kree scroll, scroll war starts there's also some weird characters called the tricon that don't matter here <laughs> but you can follow up on them in inhumans the untold saga and in quasar later uh, let me turn it over to Daryl for the next section of the book. Yes. So the aforementioned Joey, um, he wakes up. He He's like, why am I on this dock? I don't understand. And then he gets kidnapped by Tricon, which are presented as aliens here. And that's basically it. It is a one-page detour to tell a little bit of story. And then we are back um, with Black Bolt and Magneto. Um, and... Uh, Magneto wants Black Bolt to attack, um, which he does. I I want to know what word he's saying, because in the TV series, he'll just whisper like, no, and it wrecks everything. So I, I'm curious as to his one word choice to destroy these soldiers. Um, oh, I feel like he's I feel like he's singing a song. He's uh, oh. he's giving us I will survive. <laughs> I think he's singing some carpenters. Um, <laughs> rainy days and mondays <laughs> yeah um so I, magneto is so extra in his dialogue as was mentioned earlier if you read this aloud wow what a villain speech and by what a villain speech i mean everything in the text bubble that magneto is saying um he uh, he thinks that he's commanding black bolt we'll find out what's happening in a, a page or two um, but elsewhere, Medusa is utilizing that hair um, so that she can get one of what did you call them, Chad? 
the bo- the booger people. The, one of these booger people. Um, and she wraps them up the, with her hair and the groovy ghoulies is what I said earlier. The That's groovy ghoulies. Um, this groovy ghoulies is covered with hair. And um Gorgon grabs the gun, Karnak. Um it activates the switch somehow. Um, then she rams the groovy ghoulie into a post with her hair. Real rude. Um and they're like, wow, Medusa, real subtle, but not subtle enough, because then <laughs> more ghoulies fall upon them. We turn the page. So she goes, uh, the- she goes, only women can be truly subtle. And Karnak goes, but not subtle <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> what does a woman have to do aside from, like, rescue your entire crew? Um, we're in the portion of the book where every page is a different part of the story. So we turn the page. <laughs> we're back with Black Bolt and Magneto. And um, uh, Magneto is like, go turn those dials. And Black Bolt is because they have to retrieve. What are they retrieving here? So they break um, into like a government facility to get an energy device that will boost his magnetic powers because it contains like the power of the sun. I That's kind of what you need, I suppose. Sure. Um, Lord Dark Helmet. I mean, Magneto. <laughs> um it gets it, and he's like, oh, this is, you know, great. The power of the universe is mine. It is mine. And uh, <clears throat> I'm skipping ahead because then Black Bolt is using his mind to be like, huh. The story is narrated partially from Black Bolt's point of view. Um, <laughs> in a weird third person, though. It's not yes. like it's so not strange. like Black Bolt does this. It's like Black Bolt must be feeling this. Black <laughs> Bolt has a heart. He realizes the power of the universe should not be Magneto's. Um, we then cut back. The other Inhumans are in a knockdown dragout fight with the ghoulies. And they are on their way to escape. Um, they make pretty quick work of them. So good on them. Um, and they need to uh, get out. And this is when we have some electronics, Dan. I mean, your wheelhouse. There are some oh, electronics popping up. Um, to uh, uh, maybe even the score, but then we turn the page and it's another story. And it's... so let's let's pause there for okay. just one moment. That's we got to go back to Magneto getting the energy device. There's two panels of him stacked up. In one, he's holding it with both hands uh, on the shaft, and then he turns it sideways and caresses it, and it looks like the world's biggest dildo. It's he's so happy. He's the happiest you've ever seen, Magneto. Also, his head is shrinking just a little. In his next appearance, he gets turned into a baby. So maybe that's just starting a little early because his head seems to get smaller or his helmet larger as these panels go on. Uh, any thoughts on the phallic energy device? Because it's it, it, everything. It might be a suppository. Um, <laughs> and that is how he gets the power. He's as so his head happy. gets smaller and the helmet gets larger with the dildo. There's so many metaphors stacked in that one comment. It's it's amazing. Uh, okay, Daryl, take us on to your last page. <laughs> yeah, the last page, we see Black Bolt coming to his senses and backhanding Magneto. Um, that's all you need to take from this page. It's the big action. Black Bolt making his heroic turn. And um, it, Black Bolt had been planning this. He's like, you know, you have to do a little evil to do a little good. And finally came to his senses. And this is where we are going to plummet right into the conclusion of this heart-stopping story. 
Uh, Gregory, do you want to take us through the last section? Tell us what, how the story concludes. Well, unfortunately, the, my favorite thing of all is, is that last panel that, that Daryl got to talk about. You've waited hours for this instant black bolt. You've maintained <laughs> the pretense. You've resisted that the power. And now he, you lash out. <laughs> and that means he just fucked up those soldiers like 20 minutes ago, knowing full well what he was doing. He's like, <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to sing a little Karen Carpenter at them and... They'll no, so Black Bolt's like going crazy now. And meanwhile, he's still having this weird conversation in his head that I don't remember him ever having in any other issue. Maybe it's Maximus. <laughs> it, it could be, you know, though now you may pretend no more. You must smash him now. You know, and it just it just keeps going. But finally, he does get to fight the big brain booger guy with and stuff. But, you know, but he's he now I must speak. Oh, oh, but that that'll it'll break everything too much. So I'll I'll stop. <laughs> and Magneto still <laughs> with with that freedom, he will buy the destiny of world. He still thinks he's in charge, and he's clutching his suppository. You know, so yeah, and he's got yes, that. He's, he's clutching still. it for you know for for Lysmith. The humans have shown up, and now finally the, the Carnac decides, fuck this, I'm just going to kick the shit out of you. And he literally just starts <laughs> kicking the crap out of him. He drops and suppository. Do you notice on this page, Magneto looks like he's 11 years old. Like in that middle panel in particular, <laughs> he has shrunk to the size of a preteen. Well, yeah, because that's what happens, you know, because he didn't, he hasn't inserted the suppository yet. Um, <laughs> and then we finally do get the, like this really great, I mean, this is a great page with uh, where Black Bolt, you know, finally does open his mouth uh, and and destroys everything but you know that that's that's a comic book page right there you know when you see that and great sam sam rosen letter and chrome but yeah it tells us it tells us he's singing the ballad of destruction this ballad of destruction yeah what what else comes out of his mouth but destruction you know you know he doesn't he ever says anything and gives somebody an orgasm you know that doesn't happen it's you know always (laughs) shattering everybody the ballad of destruction is actually like a mid-album cut on the fourth carpenter's album (laughs) oh that is good yeah that's that's got to be one of the most tortured I don't even know what that is, you know, in that page, you know, the ground sinking away from your feet, like the memory of lost dreams. I parsed that about 20 times and I really don't know what that's supposed to mean at all. Well, you know, Jerry Conway, that's all we can say about that. And somehow Magneto gets away. (laughs) It's unbelievable. (laughs) He He gets away and then we get a a nice shot of uh, Medusa's ass. Yes. Uh, did you notice on that same panel where he, Magneto looks like he's 11, Medusa's grabbing her ass, her, all her hair's off to one side, and she's got her hip cocked. She is she is eyeing Black Bolt across the room. <laughs> uh, Magneto has already created the Savage Land mutates. Then he creates... No, I never people. noticed that she's grabbing her ass. The color is, you know, because of the color. That's the first time I've ever noticed that she's... <laughs> Uh, in his in his next appearance, he's going to create Alpha, the Ultimate Mutant. So this is Magneto's like crazy geneticist era, which is almost done. Uh, but he explodes. I think they believe he's dead at the end of this, right? Because he's like running away, and then the the suppository explodes. He's like the glory <laughs> are forever, Magneto, and then he's gone in a in a, a pile of I don't know what that is. <laughs> 
in the last few pages of this issue, we get a reprint mm-hmm. of the origin of the Inhumans, which originally ran in Thor 146. It's a Stanley, Jack Kirby, Joe Sinnott, Artie Simek kind of team up. Uh, Dan, do you want to tell us about this? Uh, this last. Few oh pages? yeah, I was I was so looking forward to this section because again I knew the Inhumans but hadn't really read a lot of Marvel, so I said, man, this is great. The origin, you know, the incomparable Inhumans. It says. Uh, they remain a total mystery, but whence came this race of enigmas wrapped in conundrums? I, I added that part. Learn the awesome answer. So this sounds incredible. I've got them all lined up there, right? The ones that you know are the Inhumans. So, you know, how does this legend come to life? And then it proceeds to unpack itself by going back in time where we've got a bunch of cavemen. And, you know, just for folks who are looking for the 5,000, 6,000-year-old Earth, you know, man began the climb just as the dinosaurs were beginning to vanish. So we get that overlap, you know, which is always great to have. But suddenly from out of nowhere, right, we've got cave people and and savage humans. But there's another race that just appears who's got mechanical items. I guess all my technology is here with no real explanation. They just managed to reach advanced civilization uh, out of nowhere. And with this advanced civilization, they are still somehow threatened by you know the people wearing bone hats and and what looks like a bikini bra you know on their head you know at one point um they have to run away because the savages you know may uh you know may infect them so they gather up some samples they gather up some of the uh, the proto uh, historical creatures and then they go and they create the city of Adelan and you get this sort of cool shot with a bunch of sea monsters and and things out there but now they're cooking up this terrigan mist but i but i don't know who these people are still right they got technology they've got i don't know what they are where they really came from maybe i'm just missing something and we understand that their ruler is not just a a, a heartless despot he's created this potentially uh shape-shifting um uh you know mutating agent but he's not going to unleash it on anyone he will partake of it himself uh which seems very high and and uh and lordly of him uh he will enter the chamber of mist which he does and is infused as the first ancestor of the inhumans but i still don't know what the hell is going on like you know it's got that great double down on the whole mystery there's no answers there's no real discussion of anything so is it both uh, 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 an exciting read, but also a total cheat, which I guess maybe defines a certain thing about comics sometimes. <laughs> now, later writers will flesh out the Cree experimentation on pre-humans that resulted mm-hmm. in the Inhumans, but this is a flashback to the Inhumans themselves using the territory right. for the first time. And the character here in the red, his name is Randak. Most people do not know who this guy is. He's the first king of the Inhumans, but we mm-hmm. know him a lot because we get we get Inhumans characters yelling things like "By Randax Bones!" Like it's a it's a phrase you see in a lot of Inhumans comics. And he's considered to be the most powerful Inhuman besides Black Bolt. He's like a super powerful telekinetic guy. Uh, I have to comment too on that group shot. Crystal looks like she has had her entire rib cage removed, and they like just cinched her waist so tight. It's like it's like three inches thick, and her hips are. <laughs> There's a special, and the and the you know the ankles are pretty like dainty, you know too. So um, I think there was a sale on corsets, you know, for that one. <laughs> How else is she going to pull such a catch as Quicksilver? Oh, there you go. <laughs> 
Uh, silly, wonderful 70s nonsense. Do we have any concluding thoughts on this delightful ride into Silver Age Marvel? I really want to know why the guy's wearing a bra on his head. <laughs> it's the I mean, latest in human fashion from the now previous you can't un, you can't unsee that now. No, you can't. No. I'm like, he's got what, that what high that, forehead. You know? he's, he's got to hide, hide something behind it. So that was it. There's like, that makes no sense. <laughs> some some <laughs> mutants get destructive magnet powers and others get boobs on their forehead you know yeah I, well you know yeah. that would be funnier if it uh god that would be an unfortunate mutation wouldn't it that uh you you heard of taser face this is boob head you know so it just <laughs> wants to be intimidating thinks he's going to rule over the savage tribe and then <laughs> once they begin to mock him it all goes downhill from there uh, this is a silly, I, I am kind of guessing no other podcast has ever developed a full review of this particular comic book, so I'm proud to be the first. Uh, it's fun taking our time through these silly, wonderful, nonsense uh, Silver Age books. Uh, Dan, I would love for you to spend a couple minutes talking about your upcoming Black Armor series, if you're able to. Uh, I'm really excited about it as a Daredevil fan. I loved uh, the, the recent run of Daredevil. The new stuff is amazing. I'm really excited yeah. for this limited. It really, yeah, the new the new work uh, is really really strong. Um, uh, you know, it's um, it's a great opportunity for me c clearly to be relevant again, and uh, <laughs> and um, and is that it, what it you wasn't, think? <laughs> uh, well, not really, but um, you know, the the one of the most fun things about it, uh, I think, for me is um, I never, I didn't look back at Daredevil after my exit you know I, I didn't say oh i mean i had other stories i was thinking of telling and we knew where we were going to play certain things out but i never did a kind of a woe is me you know if only another chance it was done it was over with you know that was the 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 contract you make with marvel not a physical contract but the you know the actual approach is it's you're there for a time and at some point you're going to be gone um and you're playing with somebody else's toys and that day is done so uh, to kind of come back in in this way, um, and after I got through laughing at, at the editor when he said, no, we want to use that costume. No, really, we want to use the armor. No, we're serious. That's what we want to do. Um, you know, I had to kind of reinsert myself into that world and that storyline at that point. And, um, and I didn't really struggle with it at all. I, I think I've become a much, much better writer over the last, God help me, 25 years in doing other types of stuff. So I'm much more disciplined. I'm much more structured. I'm much less prone to going off on bad in-joke tangents and things that don't add up. So I, I think the structure of this, uh, and again, credit to Greg who read an early draft when I hadn't heard back from editorial for a while. And he said, yeah, this kind of works, but the rest of this doesn't. <laughs> and so I took the time <laughs> to make it better. Um, but it's- uh, Oh man. It's a it's a um, it's a way to kind of return to it, I think, in a more elegant way for me. In other words, if I never write it again, um, which is certainly possible, um, this itself is just kind of like a miracle moment. Um, I like this ending more. I like the chance to kind of go back into this world, tell a really, really solid adventure story. The idea being that here's just another adventure that happened when he had that particular suit and that costume that was just untold till today you don't need to read anything else 
to kind of know what's going on here. Everything I think is is laid out within it and getting teamed up with a really pretty extraordinary artist who I did not know before this. Netho Diaz is the is the artist and he's delivering on really powerful action and really strong storytelling. So as a writer, that's your dream that you're going to have somebody who's going to take what you're doing. And by total chance, I thought I was going to be doing this full script because that's today's thing. But editorial just sent it, sent the plot, you know, my plot breakdown to Netho. And so it's really old school all the way. You know, it's, 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 it's a really strong artist executing it and telling this uh, very contained uh, story, which has this very nineties vibe in in uh which i i fit really well into i think <laughs> are you able to hint at who the villain or antagonist in this series is well we've got we've got we've turned the crank up again you know uh you know we've got Sabretooth, we've got uh we've got um uh we've got hobgoblin you know we we've put him up against um uh some threats that he hasn't had before uh the actual main villain behind that um i'm gonna let hang you know you'll if you want to go into the comic shop on um november 22nd when it comes out and you want to flip to the last page you'll know who the villain is right away <laughs> do we get uh do we get systems crash or uh or the snake root there 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 are a little snake rooty taste and actually i did find a way to work in a little system crash uh as well uh they're not the mains but they i did put them in here I realized over the course of the last 25 years, I would introduce characters and then I'd never do anything with them again, which was a really stupid thing to do. So I've got my own little sub universe. So I said, you know what? I'm going to throw in a couple of of reference points here, uh, which again, you don't need to know who they are. But I think if you enjoyed any of that run, you'll find uh, some nice uh, uh, some nice callbacks in that way. And do we There's get a lot any of more Sinclair Spectrum? No, I thought a lot about her. You know, when I when I went through before, it was a really wonderful last summer. Um, not this last summer, but the summer before, like afternoon, where I'd say about 70% of the story kind of came to me. And I just started kind of writing it down in this nice stream of consciousness. But before I had done that, I'd broken down all of the elements of where the story would would exist because Murdoch had faked his death. Um, he was he had assumed this Jack Batlin con man persona. He had moved out of Hell's Kitchen. He had this strange new supporting cast, um, as well as keeping an eye an eye on his uh, former love interest and so forth. So I went through all the characters that I had introduced, like Sinclair Spectrum, and you know I sent them to the editors and said, you know, what do we want to do with any of these folks? Uh, so I gave her some, you know, some thought, but she just didn't fit as well as as some of the others. So I decided not to force it. Well, I would have been happy to see her, and everyone else would have gone, "Who?" <laughs> yeah, but 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 you, you know, the, even now they're going to say who with some of the characters who I elevated. Uh, I went out to lunch with Fabian Nicieza at some point along the, this journey, and it wasn't about this, but we were just talking about it, and he gave me a great piece of advice or just something he said, which which really stuck with me, which was just write it like you never stop writing it, um, and which was really I wasn't feeling conflicted or constricted at all but it was a nice sort of thought that stuck in my head which allowed me then to just pick up the pieces of where i had left the character um 
and just move forward with it. Not to say, oh, I'm going to resolve that story I never got to resolve, but just to start to play out the instances in ways that felt uh, really um, right because I was just honoring who he was and who they were and who they would might have become. Uh, well, nineties nineties so, Sabretooth versus Armored Daredevil is enough to sell me. I'm all oh in, yeah, I oh yeah, like, great, especially great. Having, you know, Matt Matt gets a a fairly extreme motherfucking beatdown in the story. I will say, and and it is it became one of my favorite. Actually, I thought the dialogue and the plot was pretty good because um, I put a lot of dialogue in the in the plot. But this is an instance where you get that magic of the plot script. I think when Netho sent me back the pages for that sequence, um, uh, it, it triggered something totally new, which was a hundred percent better. Uh, and I think a great, to me at least, just kind of nice rhythm. I actually sent it to Lee Weeks. I said, this reminds me so much of, of something that we had played with in 300. And, uh, and so he gave, uh, you know, he, uh, he gave me his thumbs up on it too. Uh, well, listeners, you may or may not hear plans for me uh, to have Fabian Nicieza back on the show in short order, but I will save that announcement. Uh, but uh, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to some things in the near future as well. Uh, we're going to wrap up here. What a genuine, just fun, silly, lovely time. Dan, it's great to get to know you. Uh, I will be rereading Same your run again. Uh, just with the stories that I'm hearing today, uh, how much fun and, and, and Gregory as always delicious and wonderful to see you, Daryl as well. Uh, as we are wrapping up, uh, let people know where they can find you online. If you'd like them to follow you and anything you want to plug, given that we're going to put this out on December 4th, uh, Gray Malkin Lane is only on Instagram and discord, at least for now on Instagram on Gray Malkin underscore lane. Uh, we, uh, the next episode coming out immediately after this, it's another early silver age, silly story from Marvel team up number four. Uh, this is going to feature the incredible, uh, talents of Michael Dialinus and Grace Freud, as well as my co-host Christian Smith. Uh, and then, uh, on December 7th on the Patreon channel, you can look for an episode all about Opal Tanaka with my friend, Justin Park. And that's, uh, we get to talk about Iceman's dating life back when he was pretending to be straight and it's a great time. <laughs> as we are wrapping up let's go in the order of uh daryl dan and then greg sure you can find me and my podcast on instagram at x factor files podcast um join us as we close out our journey of 1993 and um i'm hoping to weave in an interactive element or two for the listeners maybe they can vote on their favorites um or something like that um professionally my book from sonic bond publishing over in the uk part of their on track series which covers every track from every album um, my book about linda ronstad from 1969 to 1989 by the time you are listening to this it is already released in the uk is coming to the us in 2024 and later in 2024 from the same publisher in the same line you will get my book all about stevie nicks so um, I have been busy um, getting that drafted, and it'll be a fun 2024 for music fans out there who love these ladies as much as I do. And as you guys support local authors. Daryl's worked his ass off on these books. Daryl, when I first had you on the show and we talked about Blue Bayou, I added it back into my playlist. And now my children are like, will you please skip that song? But I love it so much. <laughs> and you're like, no, my friend is writing a book. So uh, over, over to Dan next. Um, well, again, thank you very much for, for having me on. This was a, a lot of fun. Um, 
folks can find me on on twitter or refuse to call it x and uh and instagram at uh, dg chichester again with the pretentiousness and um since this is coming out the fourth um by the 20th of december you should be able to get daredevil black armor number two that is the release date for that uh so uh definitely uh look for that and the next two after that in january and february i can't wait man and i'll send you some messages as i read them live but yeah please i'd love to hear what you what you think uh and uh and then greg um, best place to find me is uh, is really on Facebook because that's the only place I ever write anything or post anything that's of interest. You can uh, you know um, you can find me on Instagram as well, posting pictures of nothing but food. Um, I am on Blue Sky, but I uh, you know it's it, you just look up my name on Blue Sky. I don't really post a whole lot there. I rarely on Twitter. Um, but that's where you can find me. Um, and I'm finishing up the Ghosts of Matakumba Key. Um, mm-hmm. written by written in the with art by uh, Mr. Graham Nolan. Uh, and that's uh, Thursday is the last day of um, the crowdfunding for that, and then it'll kick into um, you can just kind of buy it. so we're we're pretty excited to to be finishing that up. And as he says, this is the book that connects the Nolan verse, as he calls it. so all of all of his independent projects that he has done, um, one by one, he's been getting the rights to them back from wherever he first published them. So now uh, this book will connect to the Chanu and to Alien Alamo and to um, Monster Island and to Joe Frankenstein. Um, so he's he's creating his own little you know I mean universe, which is a very you know it's a cool thing to have your own sort of world uh, of toys mm-hmm. to to play in. So that that'll that'll be coming out, and I'm not really sure why Dan isn't pushing. Axel's Infernal. Well, because this will come out after the campaign's done. It doesn't matter, though. People need to know about it because you've got issue two, three, and four. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to push it because this is a book I can't wait to get my hands on. Uh, He's been working on this with a guy named Carl Waller, uh, and the art is just fucking beautiful on it. And it it is a kick-ass story of of truck drivers from hell and, and... I can't. I can't wait to see what people think of it when they when they finally do get to read it, because um, it's and they it's will get to like read it since you've ever somehow seen. Somehow we got funded. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so yeah. excited. Uh, we're gonna close this with this line, listeners. Make sure you find someone who loves you the way Magneto loves his energy depository. <laughs> uh, everybody, thank you for listening. We'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lake. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.